You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Leaving your own ego and your own agenda to the side for a moment and looking at the bigger picture and the wider view and picking your moments to when you want to make your 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 pitch or your argument or whatever it is so that you're actually more effective because that's how you're going to make change. Welcome to the Black Business of Broadway, a podcast brought to you by the Broadway League and Black to Broadway. Here we highlight the stories, how-tos, and successes of the Black professionals and legends of Broadway. I'm your host, Janine Scott. Today's guest is Christina Selby, the Vice President of Production and Touring at Nederlander Producing Company of America. Christina is responsible for investor relations, developmental work, and helps oversee the booking of tours and providing staff oversight in the over 35 Nederlander markets across the country. Over the past decade, Christina has held numerous positions throughout the Broadway industry, including Associate General Manager, Labor Relations, Accounting, and Company Operations, just to name a few. She is a graduate of Brown University and holds a Master of Fine Arts in Theater Management and Producing from Columbia University. Welcome, Christina. Thank you, Janine. <laughs> How are you today? Doing well. Good. It's, it's, it's- sun is shining I'm feeling good all right yeah it is it is a nice day it's gonna be rainy tomorrow but it's nice today so we must soak it all in so let's jump right in you have been you've been everything in this industry (laughs) at some point or another that is correct what was your first experience or introduction into this world of theater the Broadway League, where you are now. Ah, tell us more. <laughs> tell us more. <laughs> so when I was in college, I wanted to be a doctor. And my plan was, I'm going to go to medical school. And then I started doing all the pre-med classes. And I was like, oh, absolutely not. I am not doing this. <laughs> so uh, then I decided I needed to figure out something that I actually wanted to do. And at the time, I was a dancer all my life. And I said, OK, I like dancing, but I have a bad knee. So I know I can't dance professionally. That's a non-starter. And then it hit me. And it had never, shockingly, since I grew up on Long Island, I came to see Broadway shows multiple times a year. This was my happy place. I I would come into the city often. I only listened to show tunes in my car (laughs) with my friends. Like, I was that kid. (laughs) 
but I was a dancer, so I never got to actually be in the the musicals and the plays at school because I was dancing right. too much. Uh, so I'm in college, and I said, okay, wait a second. Somebody has to be in charge of all of that. Uh-huh. There has to be somebody who's running it. And so I decided to start going down that rabbit hole researching arts administration and realized that this was my calling. I could be in, tangentially involved in the arts without having to actually be on stage. Um, and now that there's so many programs that can tell people about this, I'm just such a big proponent of those programs because I had to discover it on my own and find out for myself that there was a field that existed, that, that this field. Right. Uh, so, so that's how it all kind of started. And um, I, when I was graduating, it was my, my spring of my senior year, and I saw a job on Playbill.com at the Broadway League, Labor Relations Associate. I had no idea what that was. I was applying to every possible job I could find, and I got the job. <laughs> and with everybody, I remember the, uh, I started June 2nd. I'll never forget it. It was right after graduation. I hadn't even graduated for a full week and I was already working. And um, my first week I ended up in the labor committee meeting. And for those who don't know, the labor committee is the, the group of folks at the league who are negotiating with all of the 15 unions that are on Broadway. It is... I mean, every major player of the Broadway industry is sitting in that room and my eyes popped out of my head. I was like, where am I? What did I get myself into? I have no idea what any of this means, but I figured it out. So I spent four years at the league uh, working in labor relations and it was a position that had just newly been created. And now since then, there's been many people who have filled the role since I've left. And it's been so fun to kind of watch all of them grow because I remember when we were figuring out what is this job that we are trying to to put into this department. Um, And I did, you know, almost every single union we negotiated in that time period. The only one that I never negotiated was the stagehands, local one, because the strike of 2007 happened right before I started at the league and because of the strike they ended up having a very long contract and so the next negotiating session was going to happen literally right in my fall semester of when I decided to go to grad school so I missed that one but other than that I negotiated every single union on Broadway at least once if not twice so I really got to know a lot of the the nitty-gritty details of the union side of stuff and spent so much time in the room with general managers theater owners and producers and I said you know what I really want to be a general manager but I have to learn more to become a general manager and that's why I decided to go to grad school so off I went to Columbia uh, to do my MFA and as part of the Columbia program you have to work at least three internships in your time there but because I had already been, you know, a full-time employed human being for years at that point, I was like, mama needs to eat. So right. I had to just make <laughs> do part-time jobs instead of internships. So I worked everywhere for the next two years. I worked literally in almost every office that you can think of in all the different sides of the industry. But that two-year period was so pivotal to the rest of my career because I, I did work with actually back with the Broadway League on the Viva Broadway initiative. Mm-hmm. I worked at the 101 production office for GMing all of their um, opening nights for four shows that opened. I was the opening night coordinator with them. Uh, I worked at the Dodger office uh, and as an intern for Matilda, but then had to leave because then I became a company manager for an event uh, that the mayor was doing. Oh my gosh. And then, yeah, it was so many jobs. I worked at Roundabout so I can get a little bit of the not-for-profit back in to my wheelhouse because I hadn't done that since college. Um, so I was doing fundraising in their phone room. 
simultaneously because again, mama had to eat. So, right. uh, <laughs> so, so I, I also was working at Jujamson, which is one of the theater owners on Broadway at, at the time, and they um, needed somebody in. Uh, kind of a hybrid role. I was an intern, but then the HR person left, so I was working a little bit of HR stuff with their lawyer, and then I, there was an accounting opening that opened, so then I moved to the accounting department. So at this point now, I have so many small snippets of things under my belt um, between all of these various jobs, and and that's how I basically did all my requirements for my my internship for grad school. And then it came time to write my thesis my third year. And I was like, okay, now I'm going to do what I set out to do, which was I want to be a general manager. That was the whole reason I went to right. school. So here I go. So I emailed every single manager that I knew, uh, basically across the industry that I loved and wanted to work with. And, and one of them emailed back and said, you know, I was about to hire somebody today, but let's, let's, you know, why don't you come in and, and do this, this position instead? And so that's how I ended up working with Charlotte Wilcox at Charlotte Wilcox Company. Yes. Um, Charlotte is one of my favorite human beings on the planet. I remember still the very, very, very first day I showed up at the Broadway League when I was fresh out of college. It's my first labor committee meeting, my first week of work, and I'm in this room. I don't know who anybody is. And Charlotte turns to me and she says, hi, my name is Charlotte. I don't know you. What's your name? What are you doing here? Like She was the first person in the entire industry other than the people who had hired me Mm -hmm. to introduce himself to me and make me feel welcome and warm and I you know she, she has just had such a special place in my heart and that's just the person that she is and the way that she run, runs her business and so I was delighted to work for her and I learned so much from her and I, I worked on the production of On Your Feet the story of Emilio and Gloria Stefan I was the associate general manager through development and the pre-Broadway tryout in Chicago and then the Broadway run and then after the Broadway run happened, the show was closing and all of a sudden I had nowhere to go uh, because Charlotte was getting ready to retire. She had been saying she was going to retire for about 10 years at this point, but this point <laughs> she really was inching closer to retirement. So she had been taking fewer shows. And so I needed somewhere to go. And uh, she said, you know, until I have another production for you to work on, let's find something you can do in the interim. So she started calling people up because that's the person she yeah. is. She is bringing you along and making sure that you're taken care of and and something that I've learned and I've tried to uh, implement in my life and how I'm treating other people as well. And Charlotte made one phone call to the Nederlander organization uh, who were the producers of On Your Feet. And they said, actually, yeah, we have we have something that Christina can do for a couple of uh, months here. Uh, we have some contracts that we need to, to get done. And she said, great, okay. And then in six months when I find another theater for you know one of my shows that I have percolating, uh, then we'll just, you know, I'll take her back. And they're like, sure, Charlotte. Yeah, that's great. That's not what happened. Not what it's been happened. almost six years. <laughs> so I started out at Nederlander uh, in the fall of 2017. It is now fall 2023 and I'm still there and I'm now one of the vice presidents of the company. So times have, uh, you know, obviously shifted a bit. Um, And now my role, you know, we've kind of figured out what I've been doing as we go along this route. And and it's been a little bit of a choose your own adventure. I've been taking, cherry picking all the favorite things that I've done in all the different roles and all the different sides of the career that I have built so far. Um, And 
and basically we've created this position that now is all my my favorite things rolled into one which is lovely yes yes so i'm the vp of production and touring that means that i am on the production side of my job i'm working on anything that we produce i'm handling all of our investors i'm also handling any investments that we are making into other productions I also see a lot of shows that are in development. So I'll see readings, I'll go to pre-Broadway productions. I just basically do a lot of uh, viewing of a lot of work that's happening around the industry. And then also any shows that we are producing, I'm helping on the producing team, giving my feedback, giving my thoughts, uh, reading the script and seeing the readings of our productions as we're moving along in our developmental phase. So that's the production side. And then on the touring side of my job, I work with our VP of programming, uh, which uh, he oversees all of the Broadway touring in all Nederlander markets, which currently is 37 cities across the country. And I am, originally I was hired to help him do contracts, but we've gotten so busy because we've expanded so much since that time that we have someone else who now has to help us do contracts. And uh, basically the two of us are handling the oversight of everything happening around the country um, in touring Broadway. Our staffs are picking the shows, uh, doing the deals, so on and so forth. Um, so those are my, my main roles. Uh, and now I also oversee our internship program over at Nederlander, which has been a really fun and fulfilling piece of my, my job that I've really been enjoying. I just took that over uh, this past spring. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. I mean, it's almost full circle when you think about it. Um, Diana, who was on our, who was on an episode just two before before you actually named you. Somebody else I will, I will also quickly mention is Christina Christina Selby. Yeah. So I met Christina while I was in high school and I was introduced to the league because she worked at the league at the time. Okay. And I just remember seeing her in the office. And I was like, oh my God, there's somebody else um, of color here. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, I that's that was like one of the first impressions um, and a very good impression. And seeing how she has emerged into leadership roles over the last few years has just been so inspiring. It was a great moment. So to hear you speak about Charlotte Wilcox and how she was that for you and how you try to be that for other people, I want you to know that you are that for other people. Diana mentioned it and I was just like, I totally agree. I mean, when I started and I, I did a call and you were you were candid with me and I was just like, okay, now this is the type of conversation that I wanna have. I wanna have like the real conversation and you were really candid with me about the opportunities that existed within this industry for people who not just look like us, but all people who are historically underrepresented. You know, whether it be because of their gender identity or their disability. And so uh, I appreciate you for that as well. So just know that you have at least two people, if not more, out there who really appreciate the work that you are doing in this industry. Thank you. I appreciate that. You are. You are so 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome. So you, 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 you talked about your mentor, Charlotte Wilcox. Are there, is there anyone else, you know, in this industry that you would that you would call out um, who's helped mentored you and helped you to navigate this this industry because you know you thought you were going to be at Nederlander for what two months and <laughs> it, it, it's been years yeah there's I, I would say there's four people who are kind of the formative folks of my career and the first of those is Joy Axelrad. She was the supervisor in the labor department at the league when I first started. And again, I was I was 22 years old. I was fresh out of college. I had never worked in a proper office for real, for real. It was always just, you know, little internships and I'm running errands and whatever. But now I'm actually a full-time employee, long-term. I'm not just there for a summer. And Joy took so much time to teach me how to be an employee and how to do work in a way that is effective, efficient, and and proper. And, you know, just down to the nitty gritty, you know, if I was doing a contract and, and it was, you know, okay, format it this way, make sure that you're looking for these types of things. She took so much time with me and I appreciate it so much to this day. And now that I'm doing the internship program in Nederlander, it's a lot of the lessons that she taught me in my time. Cause you know, all these interns, a lot of times this is their first time in an office setting. And I, I always have my little segment of my orientation of, you know, general office things that you should keep in mind as you are moving forward in your career. And so she's one of those formative people. Joy taught me how to work. And then I credit Mary McCall, who was uh, one of the labor directors at the league before she moved over to Actors' Equity Association. She worked with the Broadway League. And Mary taught me what it is to be a good boss. Mary taught me, you know, what, what you want out of the person who is employing you and who's going to be fair and listen to you and, and take your ideas into account no matter how junior you are. And so that is something now that, you know, I am now in a position where I can do that. I'm trying to impart down to um, people who are my subordinates. Mm -hmm. And then the third person, obviously, Charlotte. Charlotte taught me the power of saying no. <laughs> and... I love it, that. It, is, it was a, a, a lesson that, you know, because until that point, I was one of these people who I was just out to please everybody. I wanted to make sure that, you know, I was always in everybody's good graces. And Charlotte taught me that you can stay in people's good graces, but still hold firm and have boundaries. Now, granted, this was in a negotiation setting. This was, you know, when we're negotiating mm -hmm. with agents on a deal for a creative team or something like that, to that effect or to with an actor. 
But learning that you can still say no and keep relationships very cordial, collegiate, and good was eye-opening for me. Mm-hmm. Because I realized I didn't just have to say yes just to say yes to everything all the time. And I started using those lessons, I mean, in like crazy ways. You know, At the time, I was, I was very involved in my church at the time. And I was going back and forth because I play instruments. I play piano and viola. Um, and... They always wanted me to come be the worship musician, and I, it, I lived so far. It was a 45-minute ride, and you know, early on a Sunday morning, and I, I was just like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. But I had always been saying yes, just because I always said yes to everything until Charlotte taught me the power of no. And then I was like, you know what? I'll do this once once a month for you all, and that's it. Like I set my boundaries, and I didn't just, you know, if they called me up at eight o'clock, like someone canceled, come over here, and then I'm <laughs> scrambling to get there in time. So you know, Charlotte Charlotte taught me that, and I am just so grateful for that. Um, and now, currently, it's it's Nick Scandalius, who is the chief operating officer of Nederlander, and he he really takes the time to discuss bigger picture things with me. So he's the one mm-hmm. who's teaching me about leadership and how to look from the bird's eye view and see the whole picture and not just be focused on the one little slice of something that you're working on. And so all these people basically have have shaped my career, and it's the sum of all of that that is that is helping me format how I want to be in this industry and in this world. So you have a, you're, you serve as a mentor at NYU Tisch uh, for the dramas, uh, Drama Women's Mentorship Program. And so now you, you two are a heavy hitter and you are now blessing other people. Can you share a little bit more about this program and, um, and, yeah, just share a little bit more about the program and maybe how people can get involved if they are part of NYU. Yeah, so uh, there's a program through NYU's Tisch Drama School. Actually, I'm taking this year off, but I did do the past three cycles. They're trying to get fresh blood in. So uh, those of us who have done um, a couple of years in a row, they, they've asked us to take a hiatus so they can get a new cohort of mentors mm-hmm. in. So I'm taking this year off, actually, from NYU. But it is amazing. There are, I mean, some of the most incredible women in the industry are sitting in that room mentoring these students and there's usually a kickoff and then a closing thing and then in between you're meeting with your mentee but then they also have these workshops with these amazing women just teaching you different um, business strategy and and uh, personal growth strategies and they just have these seminars in between which of course the mentors are always welcome to come to and I get so much out of them forget even you know that this it's, I know it's for the <laughs> students but I'm getting so much out of being part of that part as well um, so so yeah it's, it's just a really fabulous program and and I don't know how uh, they publicize it within the school but I know every single time I've had a mentee they're like I wish I knew about this earlier so it's one of those things that is just wonderful but a little bit under the radar. Well, if you're listening and you attend NYU Tisch, now you know about the program, so go tell another friend. <laughs> but now um, that I'm taking the time off at NYU, I'm actually doing, um, I'm, I'm a, the internship advisor for Columbia currently, so I'm working Okay, well, let's plug Columbia. Go ahead. Go ahead and plug Columbia, too. (laughs) We'll plug all the universities. (laughs) Exactly, all the schools. So, yeah, so now I work with all the Columbia students and helping them kind of navigate their career paths. Oh, and in this industry as well, right? Yeah, it's only for the the MFA students who are doing the theater management and producing program. So the program I graduated from, I'm I'm now uh, mentoring those students uh, in their career 
decisions as they're navigating their internships and then hopefully their next steps after graduation. Yeah. So you have been, you know, as we're talking about bringing up the next the next generation, can you talk about what changes you've seen in this industry as it relates to 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 PLCs, to to people of color? And what what changes have you seen and then if if any, you know, what what do you think or where do you think we can where do you think we can go from here? Like, what are some of those so, next steps? What I'm seeing is a whole lot more visibility that wasn't there before. I'm seeing a lot of people who have a an attitude of commitment towards growing the industry. I think the piece that we're still missing is the fact that, sure, we're, we're getting a new slate of candidates into the door, but how do we get those people into the positions of power? And that's the piece that's missing right now. Um, and it's it's tricky because technically it means that people who are in power need to step down. And in mm-hmm. this industry, everybody typically works until they die. Literally. Literally. Like everybody <laughs> works until they die. They all do. So, you know, I don't obviously want any of these people to die, right, but how right. do you make space? How do you expand the table so that there are not just a little small group of people who are controlling everything across the board without having different voices at the top? And that's what we're missing right now. But I do see a lot of efforts being made to bring people, you know, fellowships and uh, <clears throat> and. Um, a lot of entry-level type positions that have been opening up and internships that have been geared towards making sure underrepresented groups are now being represented, which is great. But that trajectory means that those folks are still, you know, 40, 50 years away from being in the hot seat. Mm-hmm. So how do we get them there faster is my question. And I yeah. don't know how to answer that question yet. Well, I mean, here you are certainly working on it because you serve, you know, at the league. Uh, you serve on the EDI committee. You are on the board of governors, and so you are actively, you know, engaged in in helping to ensure that we that we have some that we have everyone represented, you know, as a whole, and not just POCs, but ev- everyone and. I agree with you. That is the hardest question in the world. And I just asked it. But it is the hardest question. It's because how do we expand the table? Because we have affinity for those people who are there. And so we don't want it. We don't want to see anything happen to them. But at the same time, we have to we have to make room. And what does that look like? I think that's Mm -hmm. whoever has that magic pill. (laughs) It's going to be a millionaire. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, honestly, the only way it works is if people are willing to share power. I think that's the only way to make it work without completely negating all of the history and the people who have brought this industry through crisis after crisis, you know, over the years. Don't want to negate any of that because I appreciate all those people so much. But I I think it's, it's just, you know maybe a co-role in some of these organizations, mm-hmm. institutions, maybe that's the solution. Maybe not, but it's it's one idea that doesn't completely take some people out of the equation, but does bring fresh blood into the equation. And we're starting to see some of that 
in some of the industries where you see, yeah, Mm -hmm. where you see co-rolls. And I think it's just a, a new way of doing business. And we have to be open. We, we have been historically so traditional and tradition based. And I think this is the opportunity. COVID has given us this opportunity of looking at how we do business because business paused and how do we come back and how do we rework this business model? Um, and I, I, I love that idea and I think it's, I think it's brilliant. And we, we are seeing it in some areas and it, is, it seems to be successful. Um, well, before we go, I have one last question and that is what one piece of advice you would like to offer the Black Future Leaders of Broadway? Hmm. Oh man, one is hard. One is very hard. Well, you can I give us a couple. A, okay. Okay. You can give us my, more. My thing that I that I try to hang my hat on. I feel like a lot of people um, get frustrated easily because things aren't changing fast enough. And I think that yes, you're right. Things aren't changing fast enough. I agree with you. However, that being said in my opinion, and this is only my opinion, the way to help make the changes happen requires a certain level of, it's, uh, it's like how, how you're delivering your message and when is almost as important as what the message is. And it's picking, picking your moments and picking your times. And I feel like some people, you know, they're trying to barge down a door that at that moment, maybe if they had just waited, you know, a couple of months or a few weeks or even a few hours, depending on, you know, what kind of mood someone's in. It's like you have to pick your times carefully. And I think that's the, the, uh, the issue that a lot of people have and why they feel like they're coming up against this brick wall. And it's like, but did you think about what was going on in that person's or that organization's, you know, lifespan or thought process at that particular moment? Maybe if you had literally just waited three days and had the same conversation, it would have mm-hmm. had a completely different outcome. And so I think it's, you know, leaving your own ego and your own agenda to the side for a moment and looking at the bigger picture and the wider view and picking your moments to when you want to make your 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 pitch or your argument or whatever it is so that you're actually more effective because uh-huh. that's how you're going to make change yes oh. i literally just had that conversation with someone i was like you have to be strategic in how you move mm-hmm. because if you shut their ears right out the gate you're never going to get anywhere and it's going to take that much longer for you to for them to hear you and nothing yep. is going to happen nothing is going to change and it may be a wonderful idea but timing is everything mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh that is a major piece of advice though and i think the world needs that advice not just future black leaders of broadway that is a life lesson. Yeah, I mean, you can always equate it to like, like you know, like my son. My, I have a two and a half year old. And, you know, if he, if I'm like in the middle of cooking dinner and I'm trying to do three things at once and he's coming up to me saying, mommy, I want ice cream. I'm like, no, you can't have ice cream. Like, right. absolutely not. Right. <laughs> but if he'd ask me when I'm like, relax, he's eating his food. Mommy, can I have some? I'm like, of course you can have, have some ice cream. It's it's all about timing. And exactly. being strategic. My two and a half year old is not strategic. That's understandable because he's two and a half. 
half, but the rest of you don't really have that excuse. So just be strategic. Well, Christina, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. I want to thank our guests and you, our listeners. You could have been doing anything else, but you chose to spend your time with me and I am grateful. Be sure to subscribe at bpn.fm slash bbb so you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, tell a friend. I'm your host, Janine Scott, and we at the Broadway League hope you enjoyed this episode of the Black Business of Broadway. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.